Second breath is your second. It's uh, the other one. The reason why I like it is because the Ren There's no bit of evil. They understand. Twenty-five years of Vampire: The Masquerade presents Deep Dive with Twenty-Five. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Deep Dive with 25, as of course we're going over our continuing labor uh, to explain Kindred of the East in depth, and without further ado, DJ, how you doing? I am doing great, Bob. <laughs> I was like, oh man, introduce DJ, and he's right here, I'm looking right <laughs> at him. I should probably do that. Um, Alright folks, where we left off, we told you we'd start talking about the Yama Kings, I see no reason to slow this process, but I do want to explain something. I want to remind you all that the purpose of Deep Dive with 25 is to take a deep look at the books, not just give a rough overview and maybe you should buy it or not. It is actually to go through with a level of understanding the terminology, what's being presented to us, and when both DJ and I feel that we understand it, that should mean that, you know, okay, cool. We explained it. We went over it. We get it. Hopefully, that's that's the time to progress. That's what we do. And where we ended in the big book of the, the original, now this is the Kinder of the East book. We're still on that base book. Uh, we said we'd get back to the Yama Kings. And without further ado, DJ, what is a Yama King? What are, what are these guys? So the Yama Kings are these entities, and I'll use it that way first. I think it's a better way of explaining it. It's these entities that have existed pre-time. Um, actually, at the beginning of time, everything that had been put into place, they actually had a reason to exist. What was that reason? They were to assist with the cycle to keep things moving along the way. Um, but somewhere along that story, right, doesn't give you the reasons why or how. It's just a matter of they became gluttonous and corrupted, and they started overindulging in the amount of chi that they were supposed to assist with being able to transfer from one location to another. And at that point, um, these great entities were banished off to far another regions, almost like you would almost consider like the void. It would be like a creation story of like, what does God do with the devil? He just throws him right out. And that's the basic version of what a Yama King is. We get into more detail in it, but go ahead, Bob. To, to make sure I understand this, so there's this August, the August Jade personage is the the good emperor is a way to looking at it. This is the, whatever it is, they're the ones in charge of making sure a purity and a balance exists. Do I got that so far? Okay, so this person assigned like what, like, would you say it's a, a hundred mortals they elevated to this great status to to be the purified, the very best of mortals to watch over part of this work on their behalf. And these are the people that get corrupted and become Yama Kings. Not just yet. They existed prior to that. So these hmm. are like little, if I was to kind of put it that way, it's almost like that scene in Demon Knight where all those, when you see like, oh, the creation story, then you see like the demons just kind of waiting on the bottom. These were, I hate to put it in Western terms, but these would kind of be like what angels would be in comparison to the, the August personage. He created Aha, them. Tricked you. That's what I was waiting for. It's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what I was looking for to see that this similar creation myth is here. And what am I doing? Why did someone because we were asked this, why did Zaulot, as he's known over here, uh decide to come over here? It is because the creation myths were similar. There was something to find here, and Zaulot's nothing if not inquisitive is the way they wrote him. Now, I did that for the fans listening, because we were asked directly, DJ, why did he come over here? And to officially say, we have no idea. There, There is nothing that's going to tell you his plan, his diary, his goal for being here. You're not going to see an imprint. Sorry, for everybody. But what you can do is make up your own version, read between the lines, author some of your own stuff exactly. to give reasons. And that's where I would start. If he existed in a time when these legends were being written and kind of going through and heard rumor 
that there are these Yama Kings and these Yama Kings used to be these superior beings, these good beings of light. Then the August Jade personage punishes them because they fall to, like DJ said, gluttony and worse. Then they become the Yama Kings. Now, understanding that function, though, as Yama Kings, is it simply what do they do, DJ? Like now, now that they are that. What is that? They would be the dukes of their own personal hells. And those many thousands of hells that do exist, they do lord over those particular um, locations, each one of them having different types of names. Um, it does say in here that the precise amount of Yama Kings at this current moment in time are unknown. Some say sources nine, others ten, and a few sutras list dozens. Um, and they have some very interesting names. They've listed, you know, like Mikobashi, the ruler of the Wicked City of Yin, Emma O, uh, the Lord of Shikomi Hell, uh, Tomu, the Queen of Hell, being skinned alive. That's an interesting one. Ragnar, the Mistress of Pestilence. Uh, just to kind of give you some idea of what level of the hell they right. do, right? So if you didn't know before, <laughs> the sobriquet gives you more than enough uh, indication there. And I think the dangerous part about them is that you will not meet them. It's not that you can't meet them or they couldn't even get to you. It's that they choose to work through intermediaries. That's their preference. Now, later on, we'll read why. It is not that they're bound. I'm going to underline that. It's that if you're, well, let's put it this way. If in your home or castle, you're the ruler. Right, everything your every need and every want is absolutely obeyed because you can. You probably rarely ever leave, right? You don't go walk out to the to the rest of the world where you're basically lowered, I guess, or you have to deal with some annoyances because because why would you? You know, it's why you see the queen in the castle usually and never you know just at at Tesco's in England, you know, shopping for her groceries, right? She, she got people for that. This is the same mentality I feel the the royal lordship. Most importantly, though. Kwai Jin here hinted at it. It's, there's a line in here I caught. It says, although it was originally the Kwai Jin's role to guard the world's chi against the rapacity of the Yama kings, the vampires succumbed to their own hungers and became little better than their ancient foes. This, this speaks of a different thing here. It's as if the Kwai Jin, because before we were like the Kwai Jin are what you become. Now it's the Kwai Jin existed beforehand, right? So instead of it being the second breath that makes you Kwai Jin, it's as if they were made. There were questions that were already here that were designed to serve a function. I found that interesting. Is that a is that a thing, DJ, or is it that the question were known as something else beforehand, much like the Yama Kings? You'll come to find out uh, they were known as something else, and it's presented a little bit further in the book. And and this is one of those moments, especially as you, the reader, going like, "But wait, we didn't get up to that part yet. So why? Are, if we were taught automatically that." you know, they come into being in a specific way, then why are you telling us they had existed way before? Ah, now we have to read further ahead, right? Um, spoiler alert, they, they they were known as a different name prior <laughs> to being known as the, the Kwai Jin. However, um, what makes it also interesting is the fact that the Yama Kings have their own source of power. Because they are such entities as such, they have their own source of chi. And especially when you're looking at Kwai Jin, they could also too be corrupted. And of course, as Bob was mentioning, Yama Kings don't make themselves known. And if you ever met one, well, then you probably wouldn't remember and or you'd be a speck of dust in comparison to their great power. So they work through intermediaries who are better to be the intermediaries than Kwai Jin themselves, who are also after Chi, who could also be corrupted, who may have lost their way in whatever form or just took up. And instead of selling out, they just bought in. And it makes it interesting. These these Yama Kings have uh, their servants from the Kwai Jin. They refer to them as Akuma or, or devils. And there's two reasons for that. There's two paths to serve a Yama King. Either you set out originally to take the quick path to power. Why wait to grow in Dharma? Why wait for age to be a factor? Let's get at it now. And the Yama Kings are more than happy to, to, to juice you up 
to make you more powerful to their insidious ends because it means they own you. Like you, the lock stock, they own you. And, and another one was to run afoul of the Yaman King somehow, right? You had to swear vassalage because, well, one of the terrifying aspects of this is that you can wander through the spirit realms already as Kwai Jin. Well, what if a realm you go to wasn't the realm you thought? And hubris leads you to the doorstep of a Yama King. Instead of tormenting you forever long they choose to, um, what if they decide to flip you and make you one of these Akuma? It's an interesting prospect and a very, I, I think, a, a lethal one. Uh, one that should make any kindred of the East player be like, well, I better, better be real careful on my occult journeys. It's not just about gaining the power, it's where it comes from. Mm, very much so. Now, another thing I liked here is that they cyclical beliefs right and one of the things is that the great cycles de-evolution right now particularly the coming of what they call foreign devils from the west in terms of kindred this is the canites origin or the, the western kindreds we're used to hearing uh the question actually do believe is that it's a stratagem of the yama kings that they exist at all that somehow the yama kings invented the canites and they did this because they're trying to jumpstart the cycle because the yama kings believe that when they enter the next age the August Jade personage is going to step down. And when they step down, one of the Yama Kings will be selected to rule as like this dark evil emperor for like a thousand years. The demon emperor, I should say. Give them that right title. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Not for us anyway. <laughs> Definitely not. And the funny part about that is, once again, as it is mentioned, Canites, because they have no, and we spoke about this before, they have no real path along this Dharmic cycle that they believe in. Um, you're taking a look at, at these creatures just exist in a void. And so because they exist in a void, they surely must be servants of these Yama Kings. And at that point, it only makes it that much more justifiable to wipe out these Westerners. And it makes perfect sense. If if you thought a certain group of people existed because, well, and, and you knew they did, you had, you had some hardened evidence from your ancestors who are immortal and still around that they're the reason, because there's a recent plan to the enemy to jumpstart everybody and going to hell. And if we don't stop them, no one's going to, and that's just what's going to happen. Well, yeah, you're going to you're gonna be, well, we got to kill him then. You know, oh, but this one seems really nice, but are they still a canine? Yes, then you got to kill him. And that's that's a rinse-repeat process. It's You give fanatics a reason, and that's that's what that is. Now, rolling along, though, because there's a whole book for Yama Kings, right? We'll get to at another time. Let's, let's flip it here and take, uh, that's the fun start. Let's look now at the social hierarchy. This is... Easily is the most confusing aspect that I have heard about Kindred of the East being told uh, to, to play it or portray it. That it's so complex and it's so confusing and it's so hard. Yet, when I went through here, I didn't get that impression. What do you think, DJ? I didn't get that impression either. And I think the reason why that um, most players would probably fall into that way is, once again, remember this is a source book. And when you're coming in with the mentality of reading it from vampire the masquerade your mind's already kind of preset to believe in like this fascist state of like well you have a prince you have your council this is how a court typically operates and there's a lot of um inner city fighting or at least the, the court politics between each other becomes the, the forefront of what they anticipate from court yet that's not the case when it comes to the kaijin um there's a reason behind that because the, the courts are all set up to work in tandem for a specific purpose there is a reason why they do exist now before we roll into that let's go with the similars right we know that age and generation are the two things that kindred of the West, they're the ones that that's what they focus on. You know, it's the generation you are. How close are you to Cain? Your blood potency. And then it's the, the age. If you've been around for eight centuries, you're going to be more potent. I'm going to listen to you over the guy who's been here for a decade. 
And that's just, that's how that goes. Just common sense. Age begets power. Well, let's talk about those wars a bit, right? So since we know those two indicators are there, then wouldn't it be true that the Kindred of the East kind of war along the same lines? It has to be similar reasons. And what I'm going to say is we're considered very barbaric and brutal as Western kindred by the way we choose to go at our war, right? Think about it. We do do an influence war, and that's that's hidden control of mortals, no matter the sect. Whether you're Sabbat, Camarilla, or Anarch, you're still trying to control territory. Why? Blood. Blood is all. Blood is the life! And we want more, and we want more in the territory, and that goes with it. And usually you're considered this posh, awesome person if you're in, like, New York City, and you're the prince there, because of all the people coming in. Well, at the same token... Controlling the city is a goal, but you really don't control it. You influence it, right? So you're this hidden organization deciding for your people what they can and can't do. And of course, you're an immortal. You are above the law. So the only law you have comes from your people. All right. Well, that's still true for the kindred of the East as well. They still have cities and they have they have courts, though, many courts, but their stratagem is different. They have what's known as a shadow war. Now, the shadow war is very, very interesting, DJ. Can you can you give us some insight into that? Oh, the Shadow War, this one segment alone is what made me buy one of the supplements that came later on. However, what's awesome about the Shadow War is because you're fighting within a, com- a community, right? Let's just call it what it is. In this particular case, it's a community, whether it be a Wu against another Wu, which essentially is the equivalent of your coterie, um, or you're going court against court, they know what they're looking at. And depending on what the environment is for when you start bringing up grievances, whether it be because you decide this block from here to here is my domain or my Wu should be able to run through this block and it's ours and we want to hold no contest over it. Okay. The first one is the Twilight War. The Twilight War is the game of influence, but a little bit more than that. And the reason why is because it's it's a, it's a an art in the, in the sense of finessing towards getting an objective. It could literally be like, well, Bob's gang and my gang both want that hospital. Wonderful. So the terms are going to be under this, no bloodshed, at least towards each other. However, figure out how to make this happen. If you want it, show us the influence that you're willing to do to exert over this hospital itself. And then begins the intricacies of that influence war. And there will be a clear winner at the end of this. Um, Bob, do you have anything to say about the Twilight War before I move on? So about that, it's it becomes interesting, right? The reasons why a shadow war might even be started, and they talk about this, it's when uh, two individual Kuaijin or Wu's become intoler- intolerable to one another. That means at court, they're openly declaring a dislike or what have you, and none of the mandarins or their ancestors can help them resolve the dispute. So no wisdom can soothe, no, no talks to calm down can help. Well, we agree to a shadow war. And this is announced by this pretty cool ritualized combats sort of that they could they could actually throw out so they might have uh one person from each decide to do a dance and that's that's a rivalry they're going to do as a form of entertainment to compete there um the point seems to be a ritualized competition to showcase um what they're going to do so it's an elaborate ceremony blade dances uh sometimes bloodshed and of course uh composition of martial poetry although the bloodshed's ritual bloodshed so in that, it might be like a great dance a warrior might do, where at the end, they slice their palm to bleed upon a document they wrote declaring open war and their seriousness, and they, they want to see this done. However, I said open war, and I don't necessarily mean that. Let me take that off the table for the moment. Twilight War is typically what they want done. This war is the actual, the really interesting one. 
In this, we might pick a territory. And in that territory, we say both factions have to control this territory from one month's time from now. And we have to see who does it the right way. We can't, there can't be an open totalitarian, we're the supernaturals who came in here, do what we say, you're dead. It has to be hidden. That's like one of the most, the biggest things here. You're showing how good you are by how not obvious you can be. So it's by not being overt. It's by being clever. It's also by being connected and showing why you're a strength and asset to the court, i.e. why you should be considered correct over the others that you're competing against. And that's what you'll do. And so because you're going over holdings and control there, that's one aspect of it. But they actually applaud because during this uh, engagement where you have this kind of open competition, it is considered a hallmark of, of, I don't know if you want to say cool or I think slick, that you decimate your opponent's hold over the holdings they currently have. So as they're trying to showcase what they got going on here, it's bringing into open warfare what they do control. And if you can compete and at the same time remove what they have, it's it's considered a, a done deal that you're going you're gonna to win this. Now, what's cool about it, you also assign someone to be a referee. It, typically, it's an elder, right? It's a, someone of standing that's going to sit between the yep. two and judge what's considered fair play and, well, out of play. And, of course, a loss of face for out-of-play moves. And that's that's what they do. And in the end, there's going to be a typical winner over a loser, but no one dies. No, no one's dying over this. It's just a loss of holdings. Definitely probably a setback over centuries, depending on how deep it goes. But it's a great way to showcase at court, all right, we did lose, that's that. And that's the end of the dispute. And they're expected to comport and move forward accordingly, still as allies in the court. I enjoy that a lot. One of the things I love more than this, though, it says... <laughs> Other Kwaizid, other Woos love to bet, right? This betting streak suddenly occurs as to who's going to win. They talk about princely sums uh, for the outcomes of some of these go into it. And it just brought to light being at court and talking about, oh, Bob and uh, Bob and DJ are at it. Are they? Interesting. Over control of the podcast, I see. Fantastic. I am betting an entire dealership that they can have this done inside of a month in DJ's favor and, and merciless laughing, right? And, and others are going to come over the top. That's not seen before. That's not in Western kindred aspects of how they would war. In fact, it seems the Western kindred kind of are a little behind, right? Because those outcomes involve influence and a smattering of just utter chaos over who can win sometimes. Uh, but that's not the only one. What's, what's, a, what's the midnight war? The Midnight War is when all negotiations break down. When someone got to go, uh, these Wu's, these courts, these Kwai Jin will meet up with a ranking ancestor. And um, at that point, all bets are off. Death is on the table. And uh, as they put it, there is no honorable way to end this particular fight until someone's either wiped out or the only honorable way is to what they know as facing the eye of heaven. And uh, facing the eye of heaven, for lack of a better term, folks, is um, pretty much committing seppuku or at least meeting the sun. It's a ritualistic form of uh, being able to go ahead and just meet <laughs> meet east as the sun starts to rise. And that's the only way. Outside of it, all, all, all bets are off the table. Everything's permissible. And the importance here is when you're thinking like, oh, you're meeting the sun and dying. Isn't that just kind of like, you know, Justicar is announcing a destruction? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of is, except this isn't done by a Justicar, right? This is uh, this is something. They talk about that there were their samurai-based Kwai Jin who used to do this as a mark of protest. Right. There's a ruling or edict or whatever that's given. They can go and sit under the sun. And some of these guys are very powerful indeed and can stand and withstand the sun for for a while. And so it makes an ideal punishment when you face the eye of heaven for that very reason. Or it makes a strong statement 
and these demonstrations are supposed to mean something, have have definite meaning. And it's done elegantly, right? That's what you want. You want to be able to go there and sit, um, I believe it's lotus position, like you said, facing the east, and await the dawn. Now, when the sun comes in to destroy you, you're supposed to stand still, right? You're not supposed to display any fear, any pain obvious to you. And you're supposed to gain respect for this posthumously because you're able to basically save face during the course of this, that your statement, whatever it was, or your punishment was well, was well received. And whether apology or making amends was given because you comported yourself in a very honorable way in that regard. And because you did it, it's believed you'll be reborn as either mortals or spirits of, of good or honor as this can go. That's an interesting belief. I uh, don't know. No, no, no. I think about it. I believe all the Western punishments are just to cause agony till you're dead. Yeah, that's, about that's, that's their goal. <laughs> and I said, shut the door, burn him. He's dead. He should have known better, sucker. And then you move, <laughs> you know, you move on. Now, with this being said and kind of getting back to the, that's the extreme, right? That's when court stuff fails. That's when things break down. That's what it could become. It allows us to kind of focus on, well, what is a court? What do we what do we do as a court? And one of the things to remember when we talk about age with the Kuai Jin, uh, they're talking about progressing along your dharma will determine your standing at court. There, it's not just because you're older; it's because you're spiritually enlightened, right? That level of enlightenment is the progression of your dharma to how well you're serving in your role and function as a Kuai Jin at that time. So, to that end, at least I got the impression somebody could be new. Could could start out and be within a decade. And if they've gravitated to their spirituality, if they pay attention to their Dharma, followed along and taken those lessons to heart, they could theoretically be much higher than the, the current people at a court that have been sitting there for over three centuries, based on who they are and how it goes. Now, I assume that's a rarity, if it is yet to happen. But it's definitely an impossibility because we're talking about enlightenment. Very different thing. Other half of it is, is that uh, obviously your political holds, your monetary amounts that you've gained do matter. And that's also taken into consideration, but it is spirituality over every, any tangible uh, that I got the impression of. Um, but it's like noted. So if you come in some sort of mag- magnate or tycoon and you rule several different factions in a massive chunk of the city, he, all right, pretty cool. You're able to maintain a hold and that's great. And they don't know what you are. So even better, uh, but not as impressive as someone who's mastered their inner self uh, over a course of a century, right? And that's what we're we're looking to. But in that case, DJ, can you give us an idea of what these courts were and what they are now? What these courts were, um, there were many Greek courts that had existed. Out of them, there were pretty much five of them uh, that mattered the most. Um, the ones that are the court of the Black Lotus, uh, rather the Black Tortoise, who was in the north, the court of the White Tiger in the west, the court of the Yellow Emperor in the center, the Court of the Azor Dragon in the east, and the Court of the Scardic Phoenix in the south. However, uh, in the Fifth Age, it doesn't exist anymore. Rather, most of them don't exist, minus perhaps the, the Court of the Yellow Emperor. And what ended up happening was they fall apart. Let me go ahead and also say what a court really is, right? In Western society, as I was mentioning, there's there, there's that individual prince and everyone who's trying to buy and or be a sycophant for the position to be able to feel safe within a certain location. The court for... Kuei Jin are literally based off of like-minded Wu's. That court is a powerhouse in and of to itself. To be even able to declare a court means that everyone who's involved, all those Wu's are all marching in the same direction. 
Of course, they probably have an interpretation of what it is that they're marching towards. But if conquest happens to be it, then there's going to be an entire court of just conquest. If there's a, a, a court just based off of mining for jade in one way, shape or form, or even taking control of certain parts, that's what that the purpose of the court is. So to see these courts break apart during the Fifth Age means that those woos no longer were aligned and or were corrupted. They speak about certain things. Um, the Black Tortoise was corrupted by Akuma. So now the Yama Kings come in and for whatever reason, and that must be an amazing story to tell and we'll find out later about it, they corrupted the people um, within that section. The White Tiger... Well, they, they tell you flat out that the Yama Kings, there's two of them, that's Tomu and Mikaboshi made a bet. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> they made a they made a bet to see an entire court cease to exist and did it, Jack. That's just they were bored, came out and decided to have a little fun. We're gonna play a game of go, winner take all. Uh, and, uh, and he did it with them. And that's what I'm saying. But imagine what the story would be like to be like sitting in the background and just be like an entire court, a grand court at that, and and to have that level of enemy, of antagonist, of entity just going like, Bob. It's like trading places. <laughs> it's like right. Mortimer. Like I could see, I could see them trying to declare, "No, no, I quit that court. I'm part of the White Tiger Court now." No, you're not. You belong here. You know, sorry, Roger. <laughs> you're towards this court now, and it's it's done, and you're and you're done in. It's pretty impressive, but I want I'm taking away from your role there. I apologize. No, no, and it's it's perfectly fine because it helps make the for that one stance that was just one instance of a court falling. Another one just ended up becoming that um, in Tibet. Uh, they were forbidden from going in. So now when you start cutting the line between one to the other, people don't have access to it anymore. You can't get to where you're supposed to congregate and, and or meet with your, your group. Other ones were just fights that happened between the Japanese and <clears throat> the Japanese and the Koreans. Um, and for the Scarlet Phoenix Court, they just decided they didn't want to be part of this particular system anymore. And they left. People in the, in the Southeast region just up and annexed themselves away from it. Interesting how that works. But Though those were those big five courts that had existed, you could only imagine how many more courts do exist locally. It could change from block to block or region to region. So if I'm following along, right, just with you here for everybody who may have lost a little bit, um, what DJ said was that it's geographic based. There, There's no mention that somebody's born to lead in this court or that someone was better than the other. What it is, is that geographically speaking, if there were a bunch of coteries, if you're not getting the concept of Wu, you know, to kinder the East, they're not called coteries, they're called Wu's. They're together and they're serving in the same area. In that area, they have a sense of organization. They form these courts, right? Because they all go towards a similar direction. And that direction, meaning not north, south, east, or west, but we decided that we're going to govern the mortals in this area. There's a reason we're here. This is the reason. So we're choosing the mortals. Okay. So we five serve, we five Wu serve in now court. And from that court, whoever probably is the strongest Wu is going to sit near the top. But we're still going to gauge them based on Dharma. And we're going to gauge them based on well how well they function and the and, and what they said they're going to do for that area. Though it is possible, as he also stated, that you'll have another court with another group of Wu because they go in a different direction. They're doing something different, but still st- serve in a similar area, and that's what makes this the most interesting. Like you don't have a Chicago by Night book with you know the Camarilla, and then the Camarilla has a you know uh, don't forget there's another. Chicago by Night book part two, where these guys govern uh, the supernatural studies that are in the city. It's like, no, it's all or nothing in Western society, you know, winner take all. And here it's a shared set of assets towards specific goals uh, because they get their part of the, they're the same, the, they're the same being is what I'm getting. 
And that's kind of what I want to hammer home. Because of the same being, they know they served a specific function at its core. And so they all are going towards their own individual objective, though, which is to reach their spiritual uh, nirvana or whatever you want to call it. At the end, this dharma they should be pursuing. But in the interim of pursuing this dharma, they do have to exist. And they exist in these woos. And these woos are in a court to share uh, the resources of what's here for them all to hit their individual goals. In other words, it just makes sense. Because if everybody's warring, and in this area specifically, who's going to hit any form of dharma? You're right. It's like pretty much growing a garden. They they're cultivating they're cultivating their chi power based on where they get their nest. They're cultivating the the feeding grounds around them, around them in the form of the mortals. They're they're cultivating the area. So they're pretty much just growing their own garden, for lack of a better term. And to fight against it is just and especially considering what they need to feed off of, it's it's, it's not practical. It's just not worth it to to aim that way. Now in here too, they talk about they exist primarily to meet social and political needs, which is not unusual. I mean, one can argue that the point of Elysiums and even Sabat Esbots is the same thing. You know, why do gangs get together for anarchs? It's social and political needs, right? The social is, you're immortal. Who's your peer group? Well, us, stupid. We're, we're immortal, too. So we're here kicking rocks with you. Hopefully some entertainment can come from it or companionship or whatever. The second shoe of that is, of course, political. Where do we stand in progress to what we're trying to do? What's our stance and how we govern our way of life or even the rules which we're agreeing to govern ourselves by in this area? That all has a constant mix of people jockeying for position or talking about it. And with us explaining what a Twilight War is, for these cats, this gets deep. Because it's possible for two individuals to say, you know, one, two, three, war, now we're in a shadow war. And, you know, then there's a middle guy in the middle ground. Okay, I heard it. I'm willing to be the ref for it. Okay, great, you're in it. Let's have at it. That's a different ball of wax than just simply being somebody who's upset. Someone gave an insult and you're going to throw them a beating out in the alleyway at the end here, which would be considered lawless. Like, what's the point of that? And there isn't. Uh, there isn't any. And that's the reason why they operate on a different scale. Uh, the pettiness that would probably exist amongst K-Knights um, is a lot more structured within these uh, Eastern courts. I think that's one of the coolest aspects of Kindred of the East, to be honest. It's uh, I don't want to say just a more polite way. It gives you more outs into the reasons as to why someone that just seems there's more to do politically and socially. You know, you you have a built in goal you have to pursue as a character, every character, that's your dharma. Something should always be in the pursuit of pushing you there. All right, that's a given. But now if I'm part of a woo, we said as a woo that we need to be doing this thing. That gives us something to work for as a group. Even more importantly than that, though, we're also politically competing and defending against these other woos in the same area. For, for the same things. And it's like there's a constant focus on you, the player, to be ever moving to accomplish the task you said you're there, because that's the point. And with a cyclical belief, you really don't have time for folks who just want to sit back and exist. Although certainly those might exist in the game, it's frowned upon. And that's what I enjoy about it. But even still, if someone's going to be in the fence too much, this may be the same person who's challenged to a Twilight War. They, they may govern or be responsible for something and they're not doing their task. Someone else is going to step up and do that for them or take privilege from them that they had being in that role. And so it's important to always be doing something or seem active, um, at least the way this is reading to me. No, and you're right. And the reason why is because, as you were mentioning in terms of not just to kind of give you an example of how we would put this into effect. If you're a player who's still trying to figure out what to, or rather methods of getting into the court, methods of being able to 
um, interact with other players or even more so interact with the court itself. It's exactly that you you have the plight out. You don't have to worry that someone's just going to backstab you because it's it's not a matter of petty backstabbing as much as it is. It's a matter of efficiency. Are you better at taking care of this than I am? If not, well, then this is what we're presenting. It also makes sure that you don't sit on your laurels, as Bob was saying. It also gives you the opportunity to see where you can start taking in your ins to, to do that. What it also does is from a social perspective, as you have noticed, both demons and Guijin light like to bet. And it, it's not to say that they all bet as much as it is that it's a pastime because they also are their own individuals. They have a face to go ahead and keep, which you could definitely preserve in the form of a court. But then you also do have that personal time as well, because not only do you follow um, the way the Dharma, but you also have an identity to keep for yourself. What I also like about this court is, and it's, it, it may be just beating a dead horse. How cool would it be to go to a court and or a gathering and, and sit there and hear the prince instead of just, you know, come worship me or I'm the prince and hear my edict. You go there and the prince is not asking the primogen council anything. It turns directly to your woo. You know, and they mention, you know, oh, I'm sorry, the black, the black tortoise woo. Um, how goes the progression since last time we met, which was last week? Oh, my Lord, we were assigned to uh, take care of the the herd within the rack and it goes healthily um there are many things we're trying and it's working but we've increased blah 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 percentage and x amount of people come in and then the prince is like ah that is good and in turns well what about you the hair what about you the hair woo you promised that you would also improve financially in the art district and get it done and then they come up with some lame excuse right we're like well we didn't get the help that you know so and so was supposed to help us and these rivalries start right where one woo is like sort of you know, we didn't fail. It's on them. I see potential for there being, when you're giving those reports to have more happen and more go on, makes it cool. Makes it very cool. Now, being uh, necessitated at court and being responsible for things also lends a hand into what would a modern court be like, right? It just seems like that you would be scheming ceaselessly against one another. And the answer to that is, well, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's a yes. I mean, if you're thinking there's a level of, I don't know why you would play a World of Darkness game and truly believe that there's a level of, well, we're in a peaceful era. We don't have to worry about anything now. Someone is always attempting to grow. Such is life. Everyone's attempting to, attempting to be the best version of themselves. That is a constant upkeep that is constantly moving forward. And that's that. Life is progress. And that's what it is. You never get to sit back and lazily say, I'm safe now. You couldn't possibly harm me. <laughs> Because you will get toppled. That that's also what makes them interesting. There's a society that gets that. The more active you are, usually the better better luck you have, the better things find their way, opportunities find their way to you. Because guess what? If you're at the front always looking, you're not gonna miss those doors open as they do. That's the political setting. The complexity, not that much different. It's different than the Western side, but it's different in that what? We got the Twilight War. That's what's different. We know what a midnight war is. Basically, the, the Western kindred always do a midnight war. But but the Twilight War is very cool. The declaration of war at all through a shadow, uh, agreed upon shadow war announcement, where there's some ceremony, pomp, and circumstance to announce this is going on to let everyone in the courts know this is what's going to be going on in this area between these two. And you hope it's Twilight versus the latter. That's everybody's hope. I dig it. I think that's very cool. I think that's a testament as to why they're seen as, uh, well, twofold. Can these are seen as arrogant because they have systems like this? You know, because that's a lot to go on to say, when two people are mad at each other, I'm certain there's some anarchs going, just have at it. 
if you don't like him, if Smiling Jack has a problem with with with, with Smiling Bob, just get at it. Let the, let the dice fall where they may and decide the outcome. But if you're the kinder of the East, if you're in these courts, you're wondering what did that prove? If anything, it doesn't tell us anything of who they are as these they got responsibilities. What do they what do they exist for? If it's just to rip each other apart, well, you're no different than the Chime that we have to deal with, where we originally start. And so they're not going to have any respect for these people based on what they show. But if they come out with ritual bloodletting and circumstance and uh, we got dancing and God knows what else we want to throw out to show our efforts and what we can do. Well, now we got everybody's interest and that, that makes it, well, isn't that the point? Typically, if you want to lord over someone or prove your dominance, it is to completely do it, not to partially do it. And uh, that's that's the society that you're getting into with the Kwai Jin that makes Kendra to the East uh, very, very interesting. And uh, I think rewarding. Now, they list in here in the book some of them that uh, go over the different areas and what they're called. We're going to leave those alone. Those, because you heard, hearing what a court is and understanding what it is is way more important than hearing necessarily what they created because you can read that. It's in the book. You could definitely get that. And it gives you an idea of how you might create your own court uh, based on that. It's nice and sweet. But what we talked to death on is that you've heard us mention Dharma a bunch of times. You've heard us mention what it means on Dharma, but we haven't talked about scale. And we haven't talked about what this stuff means. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to drill DJ here. And we're going to go over the Dharmas here for you guys, for the benefit of all. And uh, we're going to start at what uh, everybody starts at. Achime. Dharma of Zero is the listing it has here. And, and DJ, help me out. Give us the card carrying. What is a Chime completely? A Chime is a Magikwajin. It is just literally out the shell, out of the ground. It is a zombie. Um, it's probably not even cognizant of its own actions at the moment because it's too busy trying to chow down on food, um, trying to regain all that chi it lost on its way down and trying to get it back. Most Chime don't even make it out the gate. It already was hard enough getting out of the Thousand Hell getting back to the body, and when they get back, there are certain Wu's out there and Shen who will just call Chimei left and right. It's the precious few that make it at a Chimei level. That means something. Alright. I ate enough. I got enough Chi. My my uh, my Hun is kind of kind of kicked into gear to where it's reached its limit. I gained my awareness. I'm now considered a Hin, but what, but what is that, DJ? A Hin would be the equivalent of a fledgling in the Western society. It is a Pretty much a chilled. Now you're under the accounting of a, of a, another Quajin of higher standing, of one who is further down their particular Dharmic road, who's starting to educate you in the polite society of that which it is to be a Quajin, to have the ability to know what your purpose is. But would you say that's a disciple? So like it starts, like you said, I'm a hen because I'm awake and I need and I basically as, as I'm going through here, just to get keep keep you with me. So if I'm a Chime, I'm mindless, I'm running around, I'm eating, I'm doing horrible things. But then apparently enough is enough. And self-awareness hits. And I'm now this hen. And I'm capable of finding, hopefully a Kwaijin finds me, actually, to help me figure out the Dharma thing to, to get this going. Uh, because they survived their second breath longer. That's when I'm a disciple. DJ rolled those two into one. I'm just kind of keep them separate so you kind of see the stages of awareness and how they see that. So now I'm learning from this guy, or woman, and uh, we're, we're getting it along and uh, we're doing all right, guy or gal, if you will. And they teach me the great cycle. Society is the place I need to be reminding me of what, what I am now, because I am what they are. Um, I progress again eventually. And uh, is that is it pronounced uh, Jinnah or Gina? Either or it's pretty good. 
Agena at this point is a Kui Jin who has stabilized themselves. One of the things about being a disciple that, that um, we need to take a look at is it's kind of like being a person in college. I mean, for, it, it is what it is. Like, what are you going to choose for your major? How many times have you switched your major before you even graduated? And <laughs> and so what ends up happening is the Dharmic level between one and three fluctuates very quickly because it's a Quajin trying to find perfect grounding. The Dharma is always going to go up or down. There'll be moments of enlightenment and there's also going to be moments of failure where you're just like, I'm not even sure I want to be on this anymore. Kui Jin, who have made it to the gene level, which is the, the average about Dharma 4 to 5, have already started to solidify who they are in terms of themselves and the path that they're currently on. You're starting to look at them kind of the same way you would uh, closer to an ancilla, I believe, um, in terms of a Western equivalent. And what's interesting about this too is climbing Dharma is also about your collection of chi, right? It's about harnessing uh, that level of inner power and, and, and opening your mind and body to further magics down the road. It's like you're ascending literally ascending as you go along and so um they talk about ling right i believe that's what they call it and that's when uh it's an epiphany and that's when you're you're told you're in that gina state right when you've actually advanced past um merely stabilizing getting to a point to where you're really getting it now you're really coming in your own and who knows how long it took you to get there or how long it's going to take you to actually collect that going but this is something that fuels you up to that next stage right you're eventually going to hit that apex then you become what a Mandarin is. And now we're at that six plus stage of, of Dharma. But what, what exactly is a Mandarin? What's a Mandarin considered? Because remember, these are the people who also at court adjudicate for some reason in disputes uh, between Wu's. Correct. And so what ends up happening with a Mandarin is if a Dharmic Gina who knew their path and they started to solidify on it, these are the, the most that you'll probably see in terms of people actually making actions back, back and forth. However, the Mandarin is the person who's now becoming into an administrative role. They've spent enough time where they start actually taking a look and start cultivating that court that we were speaking about. They start looking at the directions that the court should probably start going and being advisors um, to the primary woman position because they spent that much time because they actually start seeing um, where spiritually or in terms of where dharmically this particular court should be heading off. Your, your mandarins are pretty much going to fulfill that, that aspect. It would almost be the equivalent of what – it's not a direct equivalent, but it would be closer to what primogen are to a city in terms of position holders. Bob, go ahead. You were shaking your head no, there. No, no, no. No, no, no. I was shaking my head because it's interesting how they roll it into one. They give them a political distinction but they also and, and responsibility, but they also label them as spiritually powerful. These are people who are – they get it. They're leveled as teachers or, or – I don't want to say anything other than teacher. I don't want to put in your head priest. But it almost feels that way, that they're the ones you're going to go to for that inner advisement as to what your dharma is doing to you. And it makes no distinction on whether or not your any dharma can go to a mandarin and seek wisdom in the pursuit of what they look for. And it's expected that they can get a, a advisement uh, capacity from them, too, as, as the teachers they are. The super importance of the mandarin, too, is a powerful... It, it, it amazes me. It says off the bat that they could be advisors to even the emperor is one they list and it's like whoa okay that's heavy that that's way more than just a primogen or even a local cordly lord this is saying that because you're a mandarin and have obtained this spiritual growth and enlightenment you can be called upon to come and be a part of a body to do that and this is what no doubt gives them the right to sit at any court and someone feel that they could help resolve a dispute between two individuals or woos and i i dig it that's awesome um, because, like you said, makes them out to be kingmakers in a way. 
if they so chose. Just because you're a Mandarin doesn't mean you're a good person or a good question. <laughs> you could have your own selfish ends. And if that's just a spiritual, if that's what your Dharma be, then so be it. Now, after the Mandarin, though, that's where we get the rest of this. And it's the ancestor. And it's on a scale of one through ten. This goes ancestor labels it seven plus uh, in Dharma. What's that, DJ? The ancestors at this point are at such a high level of understanding that they would be what is equivocally known in the Western society as the prince. They are the ones that you would normally go to in order to even initiate Shadow Wars to begin with. However, being named an ancestor is not easy. And the reason why is, of course, you, by all ways, shapes, and forms, you could definitely have a seven dharma, but it doesn't mean anything unless others start acknowledging you as well, which is another thing about Kindred Lee society, about Kuei Jin society, is you don't mean anything unless other people also start taking notice of you, much in the same way werewolf spirits recognize you for the rank that you currently are. This is also where we start seeing a little bit of the similarities, at least in terms of, you know, flavor text here. One of the interesting things here is what they call, uh, they have to take the, the what is known as the three dialogues. In order to be acknowledged as an ancestor as well, you have to go to three separate tests on three separate nights. Um, and the first one is the test of the, of the mind, in which the, the candidate is effectively grilled for the entire night by all teachers and mandarins of the court. See how the mandarins come into play here? You'll be tested back and forth in terms of what your politics are, in terms of your policies, your ethics and such. The second night is the test of your physical body. It's exactly as you think it is, folks. It's time to see how good your Kung Fu is and or your martial arts because you're going to be busting out there to make sure that you could also prove that you could defend um, not only yourself, but the domain that you're also probably going to be assigned to. And lastly, um, is going to be the testing of the soul. And this is where it starts to interact with your Poe. Remember how we mentioned that the Poe is not necessarily evil. The Poe is part of you, whereas the Hun is the rational side. The Poe is the instinct or subconscious mind. And what it does is that they test you to make sure that you are, if not balanced, then you are cognizant of your actions enough to be able to work it through without it becoming a hindrance to you. That That's a lot. <laughs> I will say that that's a lot. That, that to is, me, I would argue, is the highest you could expect to ever be in play for your game um, for, for anyone, because after that, we're into the weird. And uh, it's not to say that they don't have a definition for it, right? Because where do you go from being this ancestor or prince for lack of a better term um well before we move on i'll say something because you might have thought it the same thing it's a little goofy considering the equivalent of a prince when an ancestor is called an emperor as a side term like why do we why, why do they do that honestly i think it's authors of the book i think it's assigning it something to give it a unique title and emperor was a good one because you got to think of it if we're talking regionally well let's talk about an area let's say that there's just a Four provinces need to be governed. Well, you can get away and consider that a prince, right? Um, okay, fine. Or we could say a Mandarin sits in that court to help them resolve their disputes because there's not enough of them. But let's say there are even more courts and we can cover a region, right? So we go from four woos to now 12. Well, if there are 12 in an area, it's great to have an ancestor or a prince as the equivalent to govern that area and do that. It's sort of what I see them trying to have the difficulty of prescribing because over in this territory, you're kind of stacked on each other. There's not so many of you as to warrant that either. And so I think they're just trying to help bridge a gap in distinction. But don't get hung up on it. Uh, because I know the August Jade personage and then the Demon King or Demon Emperor, excuse me, would be a flip. And you hear Emperor again and you're like, wait a second. Is it, is, did I miss something? Doesn't Japan have an Emperor? Don't go down that road. Stick to the book and the terminology they're throwing at you. And under this heading, it's just a term of distinction uh, for for an ancestor, like an also known as. Another thing to mention on that is notice the gap. This is a seven plus Dharma um, 
for you to be even acknowledged as an ancestor and the ancestor, as, as we were mentioning, like rules over a particular court, especially like a bigger court, right? That gap between an ancestor and everyone else below him versus a prince and everyone else below them is a huge goal. Now you could start seeing why there are so many woos that create this court. It's, 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 it's huge. It, the, the, you could only imagine there's maybe like he was mentioning 12 woos to a court. And there's so many ranging in terms of age that you need someone to, to be head and shoulders above everyone else. And that is why that gap stands there. It's not by, by dint of being cunning. It's not because you took it from someone else. It's not that you're Kevin Jackson and you just happen to be at the right place at the right time supported by others. It's literally you proved head and shoulders above everyone else that you were meant to, to lead and hold on to that. And that's the point. You proved it. No one's in doubt of what you can do. If you had to do a test of physical might to prove to 12 woos that you are their leader, it's proven. They don't, they're immortal. We don't need anyone to come up. Any young buck coming up here and telling us that he must die. I alone him best. Now nah, you're just going to die. <laughs> we know you're going to die. Why? We all seen who you're talking about. You just going to get killed. It's not like they lost their ability, right? You don't have age working for you around here, Jack. You are an immortal. Learn to live where you're at. You know, you might get lucky. We could teach you. Maybe that person will make you a disciple, but shut up and eat your food. Let's let's talk about something else, right? That's that's what you're looking at. But even for these ancestors, there's a level above. Always is usually, right? And this end was nine plus Dharma. We're talking about the Bodhisattvas. And, and a Bodhisattva, they're concerned with the end of their Dharma cycle, right? Their earthly existences are coming to a conclusion. I don't know what to tell you that's like. I don't have the vaguest idea of what that would be. They, they kind of ramble, bramble through here of what it could explain, what they could do, how they experience contact with historic Kwaijin and grand ancestors, the yin and yang worlds, Yama kings even, who they might just go walk and talk to, all of whom Bodhisattvas believe will have maybe perhaps the final answer to help them transcend. These are all the people that called in the 99 book, I believe, when it was time to kill the antediluvian. That that a couple of these guys went to go do it. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll help put them down. They didn't die. They weren't killed by an antediluvian. They went there to unite their wonder twin powers and figure it out. So this is them. We I had no nothing to say about someone this badass. You know, they're just they're just good. I I suppose when your spiritual connection is there, that's what you have. However, they do mention though. That this Dharma point, this uh, this rumor of when they ascend, is something that Zhao Lot, otherwise known as the Imperfect One, dubbed this state of ascension the Suspire, and then it becomes clear. This pursuit that you have here, that we can hit this, this state of being, this Golconda that was discovered, now it makes sense. They're claiming right here, Salat comes over here in pursuit of a rumor of ascension, spiritual ascension to maybe escape the curse of being what he is. And when he gets here, it's discovered, yeah, you're suspire? Nah. Hey, you're not on a Dharma cycle. You're not You're not part of it. That's not for you. Wait a minute, I can never... Uh, there's no state of being for you to do that, blah, 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 blah. But yet, Gokanda's born as a rumor. And is this state, is it not a state? And it's something that they leave for Western Kindred to fit for. Right? Now, the door's open. We know, players of Vampire, there is indeed Gokanda as a possibility in certain stories. If you choose to go that route, we've all seen rules for him. That's great. If it's there, pick it up and use it. But I actually enjoy the fact that reading this seems to be a misinterpretation. 
Or I enjoy the fact that an evil vampire like Solit can will come over here seeking perfection of the self and divorcing himself from these evils decides to go ever higher and higher. And I could see the the wizened uh, bodhisattvas allowing him to go on his journey only to tell him you've pursued this all in greed. This isn't who you were meant to be. You pursued it in greed and thus the one thing you failed to let go of was this greed itself which is the curse of your entire condition. And then Zalot was like, oh, you. And, and the Bodhisattva was like, well, what would you do? I am capable of ascending and more than a match to handle you now. Well, then I will leave. I will leave and I am so mad. And he goes back home. And I was like, high five. Well written. This gives a thing, a purpose, right? Came in the journey, failed, went back, and we now have all these rumors. It's kind of fun to think of it that way. It is, because I think of Zalot as a salty one. <laughs> the silver kid in my head. He's, he went. He's like, wait, what? <laughs> Screw you! All. I'm heading back to the west, right? And and you're right. And this is this is exactly why those bodhisattvas exist. It's very rare that anyone ever gets to them because, once again, the poet's part of you. It could very well destroy you. Um, you could lose your way. You could get above yourself. You get ahead of yourself, and that's also a thing. Your ego could literally get ahead of itself, and you'll never be able to find it. And you end up in the same position as Zalat, where you'll never be able to attain that true thing. Um, and the bodhisattvas stay behind. They, they literally stay behind. They could ascend at this moment in point, but they don't. They stay behind because they assist with the spiritual well-being of um, others below them, and they help along the dharmas. And some of them even develop different dharmas that we'll explore in different books as well. Now, it's important, too, that these uh, bodhisattvas, what, you know, they'll, they'll tell you here to start on, and maybe a young one is, a, is the equivalent of a Methuselah. And so someone in Antediluvian can smite, but clearly, if they hadn't obtained an existence yet, and they haven't found that, quote-unquote, suspire moment... To, to continue on that who knows how many centuries or millennia they've walked the earth. And so you can't gauge their power level. It's we have a starting point, but sky's the limit. And so be careful who you choose to insult. That old man in the mountain may indeed be the old man in the mountain. And that's, that's how it do to this end, this mysterious society, the kindred of the East, the Cathayans, how have we never known about them and other supernatural societies? Where does that come from? And it is because outsiders are completely shunned. Cathayans are incredibly, as a society, are incredibly, they're exclusive. Meaning if you're not them or of them, they have no interest in you. They they don't, they don't see any value in coming to hang out with a bunch of people who don't espouse what they are, don't know what they are, or what they're trying to do. Again, why? We just went over that. If they're in a pursuit of a spiritual dharmic perfection, a level of ascension to what that dharma is, why would you get distracted in the affairs of some other Shen or what the Kinjin, uh, as they would commonly called the Western Kindred are up to their machinations are to some bumbling God, blood God, they call Cain, which doesn't make any sense to them. You're older than the Cain story and the religion it came from. Why would you, you clearly don't have it going on. You don't even understand yourselves, let alone what you are. And because of that, you're, you're a dim by comparison. We're over here now. And it's sort of an approach they take. And they point out that the only people, the beings that they got to realize, shake that up and why they're probably in contention would be the Yama Kings, right? The Yama Kings actively seek to screw them up on their Dharma. Make it to where the only road that you're ever going to achieve that power, guy, is uh, look at me. Come over here to my hell. I'll help you out. Be it Akuma. We'll make it quick. Why, why, why wait? You know, that Zalik guy just had to come over here and I would have hooked him up. He didn't come by. But if he did, oh man, have a couple of devil salubi running around. No problem. And 
maybe he did. I don't know. It depends on when to go. I'll stop beating Zalit Burnham. Uh, monikers here. We'll just <laughs> leave that alone. But um, why do that, right? I know what you're thinking. We live in an era now where if you're anything that excludes anyone else, man, you're you're an elitist. It sucks. Well, it's because it has its place. That's just how it is. They see themselves in the pursuit of per- perfection as being only certain people can do that. Only certain folks who get that discipline, who get that culture, who get that society are going to get who they are as a people. And it's not that they dislike you. I want to underline it. It's that they consider it a waste of time to try to mix when they could so clearly see that you will never adapt to. I know what you're thinking, but Bob, they didn't even let me try. Ah, uh, nay, nay. They did not stop Solid from coming over here to try to adapt to their ways and know who they were. They let him. It's just when he realized what they already knew he was going to fail at, they then enlightened him as to why that failure existed. And because of that, that made them awesome in my book, the way that was positioned. As, as I saw it, it's not an insult. It's just the way things are. Can you run a campaign where a bunch of Kinjin can come and win, win favor, though, DJ? With the question, do you see that having a place? Most definitely. Just because you... It's a no-faded one, but there's a very, very interesting, compelling story behind it. Because every Kinjin, every K-Knight, any character that you build is always the one that breaks the mold. Every character you build is the one that will always tell its own story. And there is that possibility that you capture the eye of a of another of a potential ally, of someone who wants to put you in their thrall, of someone who wants to put you there. And, and that's exactly what that story is. And to also add on to it, it's it's also playing checkers versus chess. It, it's also because how could you ever understand their politics or why would they ever want to include you in their politics if you're not playing the exact same thing? And, that, and that's that's just to put it on a different level, right? So remove spirituality and you want to make it more mundane um, you know, or, or earthbound-wise. If, if you're not playing the same game they are, why would you ever be included in it? And I think that's when we take a look at the Kinjin, and that could be a story hook on its own. What if you were to enter, let's say, even Hong Kong, which is an amazing port city? How do you integrate, and do you get the opportunity to, if they even let you? What do you do to make the difference? I dig it. I dig it. That makes a lot of sense. And let's say you decide that, man, you know what? I don't want to play with a Wu. I want to be my own individual walking around away from the society, and then I can mix with whoever I chose to. And to this end, we agree. Whole book agrees, in fact. Uh, they call him Hymen, or is that just Hymen? Uh, how do you pronounce that, DJ? Hymen would be just good. Hymen? Yeah. Okay. So the Hymen are the loners and drifters that are among the Cathayans. These are people who just choose not to be along to a woo. They're going to walk it their own way. Uh, rootless vagabonds, or a half-person, as the Japanese would refer to them, uh, meaning you, you're literally make, you're, you're making yourself less as a willing choice to them as a whole. Uh, because your people should be who you're about and you should have a woo because that's a natural function of what you're supposed to be doing. Remember, you have a responsibility and that's what you should do. But if somehow you made it part of your dharma to walk your own path to pursue that dharma and for some some way you're still able to uphold your obligation uh, in a responsible manner, this doesn't say that you don't have a place at court. What this says is you don't have any leverage or leeway or how how effective could you be as this Haman is what it what it screams to me. It's so cool because this would almost be the equivalent, if not the, the exact analog to being a caitiff, right? However, the difference is here you are an amazing expendable asset. Why? Because they'll most likely reach out to a Haman first to be able to settle and or communicate with K-Knights before they ever meet with anyone else. 
So it's like, well, we'll send him out. Let's see if he comes back. Messenger didn't come back. Well, uh, I guess that was bound to happen. Had he been with the Wu, a different story. But at the same token, we wouldn't would have never gone. Funny how they work that out. We'll get into that a little bit later. But Heyman do have a purpose. And to back that up, which is the next point, I was. Uh, we, I'm glad you brought it up. Actually, I almost slipped my mind. Uh, they talk about what can a Heyman do for a court. I said as an individual, you might be thinking I'm a Ronin. I walk my own way. Remember what that term Ronin means. That is not a, a Heyman. It's not. I'm not referring to any shape changer at all. I mean the term Ronin, but please look it up. Uh, we, we don't have time to dive into that here. And it's not here in this book. You're going to find that term right now. Um, Heyman, though, service, can serve as couriers, servants uh, to the Wu. And they do something very cool. If I serve a Wu, great, as a Heyman, as, a, as an asset, they submit a term, a letter of recommendation that they'll, they'll give to me and send ahead to another Wu in the area that belongs to the same court. All these letters tell everybody what good use I am and in good standing. And, and immediately my brain opened up to the fact, mercenary work. That's what this is. <laughs> That's what this is. Delivering messages or taking care of problems. Do remember, if there's a thousand hells, how many demons do you think are around causing problems? And oh man, glad Heyman's here. My wound doesn't have to dirty its hands because DJ's here. And I hey, I got letters of recommendation and DJ took care of that badass nine-headed ogre that was terrorizing the town. Remember, he was pulling kids and eating things and depleting the fish, causing no end to chaos. And uh, it's a good thing you're here. And I'm glad you handled it. Meanwhile, DJ the Heyman is only coming into town, has no idea we're going to ask him to go take care of another problem. Still nursing his wounds, but his, his uh, rent at the inn is paid. Right, he gets offered food immediately. He's he's got a new car to drive around this area only in, and we make him very comfortable for where he's at. And DJ immediately knows, crap, I gotta go visit the Wu. I gotta go to court. This is all to go to court. Yes, because his attendant, you know, Bob, the mortal that serves the court, one of the Wu's is here to show him where they meet, and certainly hopes that when DJ's ready, when the Heyman's ready, we're gonna go and introduce him and get this ball started where he can handle our problems too because he comes highly recommended i think that's much amazing it's different than it for a caitiff right a caitiff would be used and forced to be used and treated like this disgusting less person that nobody wants around uh because they can this here says why waste them as a purpose maybe it's a good one uh but before we get to anything else, folks, we're gonna we're gonna pause here. We've given you an hour, a solid hour of going through uh, even more of the Kindred of the East here over here in Deep Dive, and we'll resume next time when we pick up the politics. Uh, as we'll dive into that of what the Kindred of the East do to show you how maybe it's the same or how they go about it. Definitely, at least amongst each other and and where they're at. Um, once again, DJ Man, thank you. It's always a pleasure for the insights. No, thank you for the opportunity to be able to share this with the group. We, we, Bob and I, and 25 years are very, very passionate about this because we know that you folks wanted to to get our take on it. And we are very honored to give you our our take and our ability to give you this voice um, so that you can play the game that we also see in our heads. And perhaps it'd be a better game for you as well. So thank you so much. I agree. Thanks for listening, folks. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM at our email info at 25 years VTM.com on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website, www.25yearsvtm.com. If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com 
slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade.